Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I have some big news. I'm so excited. I'm launching the first ever guided mind love course just in time for the new year. It's a 30-day mindset transformation to help you learn to overcome negative thinking and develop new healthy thought habits. Learning to master your mindset can help you be a better friend, mother, sister, wife. It can help you become more productive. It can help you set and achieve bigger, better goals. Your mind is where everything starts. Plus, one of your resolutions should be entirely dedicated to you and your own personal growth. So this is the perfect way to start the new year as your best self and give your mind a little love. We kick off January 7th, and since this is the first time launching it, you're going to get some extra special attention. We'll have weekly group coaching, personalized feedback from me, and some exclusive surprises. For more info, go to mindlove.com course or text course to 444-999. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 58. Today's episode is all about learning and open-mindedness. Oh, and Merry Christmas. When you plop down in a new city, in a new country, or you even you take a different route on your commute, a different way to work or whatever, your brain is like making all these new connections real quick. It's forcing you to learn. Now that I've experienced this new frame of reference, oh my gosh, what else is possible? There's like an infinite way of, of looking at things. Now we're back to open-mindedness. Have you ever noticed that when you're in a new place, things seem brighter and more vibrant? When we're in our normal place or doing our normal things, we just let it fly by and we don't take that extra second of awareness. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Please stop what you're doing and hit the subscribe button. More subscribers means even better guests and even more value. Plus, it helps grow the show so more people can find it. And if you ask me, everyone can use a little more mind love. And if you need another reason, I would really appreciate it. Hi, friends. First of all, Merry freaking Christmas. I can't believe 2018 is already coming to a close. So much has happened this year. I don't know about you, but my whole life is different. This time last year, Mind Love was only three weeks old. It was just a baby. I had less than a thousand downloads. I was still working for someone else, feeling completely unfulfilled, feeling kind of stuck in that role, actually. My husband and I lived in a tiny studio, seriously tiny. 330 square feet. We actually had to build a loft just to fit our bed in there and still have room to move. But I was so excited because I had just done some pretty life-changing exercises to figure out my purpose and they worked, which was mind-blowing to me. I always thought of those life purpose exercises to be cheesy. But I think it's a combination of finding the right time in life and really believing that it's gonna lead to something great. So I knew 
My vision was still a little messy. There was still some unfolding to do, but I knew that I was on the right track. And now, one year later, I have this mission and it's getting clearer every day. There's still some discovery to do, both self-discovery and I always expect that I'm going to learn something new and things might change. I allow myself that room to pivot, but I trust and I have faith that the universe is going to guide me to where I need to be. Somehow, the more I focus my intention on serving, the easier this blind trust is for me. It's funny because even though all of these amazing things have happened, I still have to stop and remind myself in the moment of the amazingness. It's easy to fall into the trap of just getting caught in the grind in the day-to-day and only seeing the hiccups or getting frustrated or bored of those repetitive tasks. That's why I'm so thankful for my best self journal. It forces me to keep a daily account of those small little daily wins. As small as they may be, it, it can be as simple as finally making the time to call my mom or not getting distracted with Facebook for 20 minutes. <laughs> but recounting those wins is my favorite part of the day. So if it feels that good to count your tiny little wins at the end of each day, imagine how good it will feel to count your wins for the whole year. Hint, that's going to be my challenge that I'm giving you guys today. Here are a few of mine. I finally took the plunge to live out my passion. I followed through with something for over a year, and don't worry, I'm not stopping anytime soon. I spoke at my first conference. It was podcast movement, actually. They invited me to speak on how I grew mind love so fast. Hint, I'm pretty sure it's just all in the love you give it. My husband and I moved into a larger place that we both love so much. I honestly wake up grateful. I think it's the sunlight. I've made some amazing friendships this year. I've started working on my public speaking career. I don't think I've told you guys about this yet, but I recently joined a six-month public speaking intensive program, and I'm so excited. It's helping me hone my story, gain more confidence to deliver that story on stage, and I'm telling all of you this, not just because I feel awkwardly close to you, because I know a lot of you have been with me from the beginning of all of this, but to show you that your dreams are possible. When I started all this, I had no idea about 98% of the details. I just had a vision. That vision started with seeing myself on stage and the idea of this podcast birthed from the fact that I thought it could help me hone my speaking ability. Well, I did try to get clear on as many details as possible, but the rest I left to the universe. And again, I left room to pivot. I left room to allow myself to know that if new information came my way, I was flexible enough to follow that information. I've honestly just felt so guided this year. Okay, if you could see my face right now, it just scrunched up like <laughs> I had this major epiphany. But I just had a flashback to episode three. My guest was Amy Torres, who I actually met in my podcasting course that I took to start this. And somewhere in the interview, she said that eventually you get to this place of being guided, guided, guided. And she actually repeated it three times. And now whenever I hear the word guided, in my head I hear 
guided, guided, guided. So I think it's so fitting that that was my theme for 2018. And I'm going to get sappy for a minute because if you're listening to this right now, I am so grateful for all of you, for all of you who have been along for this ride. To you, it might just be a podcast, but for me, this has changed my life. I feel so much love when I create this content, and I'm so grateful for all of your support. For everyone who's listened or shared mine love with a friend or someone you know or on social media, you have no idea how much this means to me. And if you regularly listen to mine love and you somehow feel connected to it, we are connected more than you think. We're connected on that soul level, light workers united by a mission, by the way we choose to view the world. So thank you for choosing love and goodness and yourself because you deserve to choose yourself. So thank you. Well, today's episode is going to be different than all of my other episodes. First of all, it's Christmas Day. And second, I'm celebrating a year of podcast success. So in honor of the holiday, the year in review, and this new life path. I'm going rogue today. Usually I over-prepare for each episode to make sure it's jam-packed with all of the learnings possible. But you know what? There is beauty and spontaneity and imperfections and just human connections as well. So our guest today is a fellow podcaster who hosts the show, The Art of Adventure. His name is Derek Loudermilk, and I was introduced to him by a new friend that I met in my public speaking program that I told you about earlier, and we instantly bonded over our love for learning and adventure, obviously, and just the way we view the world. We both have had some requests on just a casual episode of conversation to shine some light on the way we think. So I figured this holiday episode would be the perfect time to do that. So grab a glass of wine or some hot cocoa and sit around the fire with us and let's discuss life. <laughs> Three things among many others that we will be discussing are the power of open-mindedness, how to make your brain work for you, and how to train your significant other. <laughs> that last one's kind of a joke, but also pretty serious. Before we get started, I want to tell you about the best way to stay in your highest frequency between episodes. Thousands of listeners are loving my daily morning mind love emails. They're short daily reminders of your own beauty, magic, and power so you can start each day with your best mindset. Just go to mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. First, you'll get a really cool free booklet of Powerless based on proven methods from the most successful people in the world to automate your highest decisions. Plus, you'll get a free guided affirmation meditation. It's set with a binaural frequency known as the Miracle Tone, which is known to make you a magnet for love, health, and abundance. Then it's layered with affirmations to perfectly tune your frequency for transformation. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 444-999. That's morning to 444-999. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Derek. This is really exciting because we're going to make something up. We're going to try something here. And we don't have a long back history. We met before once over the internet, thanks to our mutual friend, Keegan. 
Hello. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. <laughs> so let's make this a collaborative co-interview type of thing. And I thought we could start with talking about learning. So the reason why I thought it would be a good idea to co-host an episode and then share it on both of our shows is that as I was learning about you, as I was researching you, I was like, ah, I really connect with her on so many different levels. And I think a lot of your audience probably feels that way about you. But this is really cool. I think we could talk about a lot of different things. And one of the things I've heard from my audience is they just want to hear how I think about life, how I approach living. And so I thought we could sort of just jump around and people could hear how we think about all these different things. And we have a lot of different interests. So let's start with why we are polymaths, why we like learning so many different things. Have you always been that way? I have always been that way. I've always kind of looked at life like a video game where you have to level up your character. So I just thought I could pack in as many skills as possible. And I was going to be the whole package. <laughs> so when I was younger, there was definitely some vanity behind it of just wanting to be competitive and succeed and be above. But I realized how hyper-focused I got on these little topics that other people weren't as interested in. And so it was about learning and really having a growth mindset and realizing that I could do anything or be good at anything that I really tried hard at. I think that was something I got from being an only child. You know, <laughs> I was told okay. I could do anything. <laughs> and I really yes. just took that and ran with it. And then I think as I got older, I started to grow and focus on what I had to fix about myself. What was I doing right now that was contributing to levels of unhappiness, to the place that I was at? And really looking back on my path, I realized I was used to being a little bit judgmental. And so as I grew, I started to realize, oh my gosh, there's so much more out there than I was led to believe or that the people around me believed, being from a small suburban town. Then as I was just working on becoming a better person, a lot of where my inner struggles were coming from, I was realizing is also the things I judged about other people. And so in switching that, I just started to look for the good in everything, look for how things could be possible instead of immediately meeting things with skepticism and judgment. Now it's one of the things I'm most proud of is just my ability to seek and come in with a clean slate and an open mind. Well, I'm curious about the very first thing that you sort of nerded out about that you went really deep on. Because when I think back, when I was in sixth grade, Somehow I found math and I got really into math and I was pursuing college level math, you know, as an elementary school kid. And I would spend hours and hours in my room doing these problems and logic and sets and all these things. And looking back, like that's not super normal, but somehow I thought it was awesome. And I was the only child. And my parents were like, sure, we'll send you to math school or whatever. So that's one of those things where like, I don't know how this kid found this thing, but here you go. <laughs> yeah, I was less about one topic and more of packing in like all of these different skills well enough to just impress <laughs> and then kind of move on, I thought at the time. But I remember, first of all, secretly learning to skateboard or at least trying because I thought it'd be so cool to bust out skateboarding in front of all my friends when we were all hanging out at an outdoor party or something like that. That was my original motivation for learning to play the piano, which I then played for over a decade. But 
I remember thinking, I'm going to secretly bust out with this skill of piano playing, which is funny because I was just able to do that the other day. Most people don't know I play the piano, and there happened to be a piano at the Third Street Promenade, so I just started playing. So I don't know what it was about this idea where I was going to pack all this knowledge in and then secretly bust out information, <laughs> but it was a theme from like the age of six years old, I think. <laughs> wow. So I used to live in Boulder, Colorado, and I was a bike racer. And everybody had this thing where they would say, like, oh, I haven't really been training that hard. And then you'd run into someone like 50 miles away. You'd be out secret training, and they'd be out secret training. And you're like, ooh, I know that you're riding 100 miles today, and I'm riding 100 miles. And so we're both like trying to pack in this fitness but like say that we're not training too hard. And so there's this thing there. It's like we want to just show up like really good. We want to not have people see us going from beginner to expert. We just want everyone to be like, damn, you're just so good at that thing. Naturally. <laughs> I thought of the female side of it. And there's a couple of different movies or shows where it actually shows the woman in the beginning of a relationship getting out of bed after she hooks up with a guy, going into the bathroom, putting on makeup, and then sneaking back into the bed. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he wakes up and it's like, oh, I woke up like this. <laughs> you know, It's the I woke up like this mentality, but with skill. <laughs> There's this YouTube channel that I watched. His name is Mike Boyd. And his channel is Learn Quick. And he's pretty great because he just picks a skill. He's going to learn like skateboarding is one of them or playing guitar or something. So a couple of similarities. He's trying to learn it as fast as possible, but he'll show his whole progression. And I think the reason it's so compelling is that you're like, this guy's messing up over and over and again. And then when he gets it, you're like, you share in his joy <laughs> of him being, yes, I figured this one little thing out. And we tend to hide that process but it's really great for other people to see that. You know, I think one of the things people connect with you about is that they can see themselves in some of your life struggles. Why do you think we hide those things even though they will help us connect to people? I really think this is one of the biggest things that has changed in me in the last couple of years, especially the last year. And it's the same reason why there's all these perfect Instagram accounts. But now I realize that that flawed level is the level of connection. And it takes so much more vulnerability and courage to come out with the struggles of everything. And realizing that all of these things that maybe I thought I was alone or imperfect with, those are the things that everyone else is pining over too. It's the things that are the seedlings of their unhappiness that are then growing because they're keeping it to themselves and feeling alone with it. And so when you realize that the human experience is just all of that, I think it does take something to kind of pull you out of that bubble though, because unless people were openly sharing about things when you were young, you don't realize everyone has these struggles because you're keeping it a secret. And so what was your experience with that? Well, I do love the process of learning, but I also, when it comes to things like games or sports, I really don't like losing. So it was almost really important that, okay, it's okay to show up as a beginner the first time and to not win the first time you try something, but I will go and I will learn all the skills I need to beat whoever that I played with the last time, you know, whatever it is. So like the second time I show up, I plan to win. And that's just something that I had as a kid because I love winning and I also hate losing. And I don't know which one is more powerful. <laughs> Where do you think that comes from? 
I just like to feel clever. And when you outsmart someone or when you beat them, you just give yourself a little mental pat on the back. I don't know. <laughs> How did your parents treat that when you were younger? Did they give you the words of encouragement or that positive feedback? So my dad, he was doing triathlons as I was growing up and I would always go watch him. And then when I was 13, I wanted to do my first one and he slowed down and did the whole thing with me. And we were going, you know, ridiculously slow on my heavy mountain bike. And then right at the end, I sort of sprinted to the line and he let me beat him. And I was like, yes, I beat my dad. And my dad's so fast and I beat him. And I think my parents probably just let me have those little moments because it was way more important for me, <laughs> it was for them, right? My dad is the one who beat me in a race. Maybe it's an only child thing. Oh, you're an only child too. Yeah, we're both only children. Being an only child is magical in some senses and so lonely <laughs> in other ways. It's funny now. Now I'm noticing all of the consequences of being an only child or these threads of behavior throughout my life that <laughs> probably came from being an only child. What's an example? I get really close to my best friends and I will take them on as like a sister. I want that so bad of just that person. And I know that's changed a lot now that I've gotten married. And it was interesting after I got married, I could feel something almost melting, like this struggle that I've had my whole life, or this little seed of loneliness was suddenly full and I knew I had my person. But before it was like, I would have my best friend and then they'd get a boyfriend or something and then I'd be cut out and half the activities and just always feeling like I was going to be left out and that other people always had someone to go to and I was just waiting for the next shoe to drop. But it really just goes back to loneliness. And were you good at playing by yourself as oh, a kid? Yeah, I started to use that as my strength. And then I prided myself in it. And I think that was a defense mechanism where I moved around a lot. And when things would get hard, I would just move, especially after college, even roommate situations. I would go to a new city and I knew I'd be kind of miserable for the first couple months. It'd be fun for a couple weeks and then a little bit miserable and lonely, but I was expecting it. And so I would force myself to go just make friends, which I've always been good at. People have called me the chameleon where I could hang out with one group and completely different group and just fit right in. It was a half and half because I can definitely see the benefits, but there were some downsides. When I have kids, I will have two. <laughs> so we just had our second. We just had a daughter. We have a two-year-old son and has like the perfect little match set. And I'm really excited for them because they're close enough. I think they'll be like twins and they'll always have each other. And me as an only child when I was a kid, I was always hanging out with friends with large families, friends with three, four, five brothers and it was like they almost didn't notice me. It's just another kid around the dinner table. And it was cool to be part of those big families, but then I could go home and like nobody would touch my stuff, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had kind of opposite. My own family was big. I was just the one only child on my mom's side and my dad's side. And then my mom got a husband. And so I had two stepbrothers, but we were never close, but they would touch my stuff. So <laughs> it was very disheartening. Yeah, it was interesting. But my husband and I share stories because he has eight siblings. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but four of them are immediate. And then the other siblings were his dad's other marriages. So they weren't as close. But realizing that when you have a sibling, you have someone to talk to about how crazy your parents are. 
I didn't have that. So when your parents are being crazy, you just have to take it. And you think you're crazy. You can't be like, oh, yeah, but that's just mom. I was like, oh, my gosh, my mom. So it does lessen that blow of being able to step aside. And I don't know, because of that, I think my mom and I would definitely get at each other's throats sometimes. If it's two parents and a child, a three-person family, only child, there's like six relationships happening there. But when you go to four, it's like 16 relationships. And then your husband has eight, you know, that's like 164 relationships within that family structure. So there's just so much more you can do with that, with those options, I suppose. Well, I'm curious, did you take on characteristics of your parents or did you go the opposite direction? And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small. And when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com mindlove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot mindlove. Well, I'm curious, did you take on characteristics of your parents or did you go the opposite direction? 
It's an interesting question. I think about that a lot because when I look at my kid, I think, how much is he going to take on unconsciously from what I'm programming into him? And I'm trying to be a good parent, (laughs) but not to screw him up too bad. You know, I think it's like a split. I really have that only child sort of the scientific, logical stuff that my dad has and this sort of creative relationship loving stuff that my mom has, which is really cool to start to see the stuff that I'm doing now for my kid is something I learned maybe even before I was even conscious of it from my parents. And I remember being in the back of the car on the way to school, my mom driving carpool and learning to think about, you know, people of other cultures and just sort of respect them all equally. That was like one of the earliest things that I remember learning from my mom. What do you think your family's frame of reference in terms of open-mindedness, like how did you come out of your childhood thinking about the rest of the world? I realized how much I had to learn. <laughs> I was raised really Christian, but my mom found Christianity when I was a child. And so you could really see that struggle of learning about something. And it's almost like when I first became vegan <laughs> and realizing these things affected me. I learned something about the way things were and it caused an immediate change. And I think my mom did that with Christianity. So she was learning things from groups and Bible studies and whatever. And so there was a while where it went a little too far over. I was pulled out of class when we learned about evolution. I was pulled out of class reading A Wrinkle in Time because there was a Pegasus in it and somehow that was evil. At one point, randomly, my mom wouldn't let me watch Rugrats, and I was already too old to be watching Rugrats because Angelica was a bad influence. So there were those little things, but she always kind of went in waves of Christianity. But Christians, a lot of them, do believe that being gay is a sin. And that was the first trigger for me, that I was like, there's something that is not right here. And then I was sexually assaulted and got blamed in my church. They didn't know the whole story, but they didn't ask. They went straight to me being unclean and took away my solos. When I was going on tour, I was in choir at church and we went all along the West Coast to sing at churches and homeless shelters. And I couldn't have a solo because I did this thing and I wasn't one of the good little church girls. And I just remember thinking, if you only knew what really happened, but I had too much shame about it. So those things, I just dropped everything with the church and was like, there is no God. There's nothing beyond this. I hate all of that. And then through that, just seeking and trying to get myself out of my own trauma and my own depression, I started to learn what my spiritual beliefs really are. I still am learning. Now I've gone through the whole other side of open-mindedness. And yeah, I think that was the stem of it, though, was that kind of closed-minded religious beliefs that I was raised with. And now I think just so much is possible. So so I mentioned my dad's a scientist. I've been a scientist. I still think like a scientist, which is with some skepticism. And do you have some evidence to support your claims? Mm-hmm. And the other side is where... I believe in magic and I will suspend disbelief in almost anything because I'm curious. And it's a weird line to have both of those at the same time. And I probably have expressed opinions that are like oscillating about various things, something like clairvoyance or 
manifesting or spirit guides or whatever, because I want to believe that it's all real, but I also want to understand how it all works. That makes a lot of sense. I have that skepticism because I feel like it's in my blood because of my formative years. But then it takes people that are open-minded enough, but with enough skepticism to come in and prove those things instead of just accept one way or the other. And so that's part of what really interests me is I'm like, what's really happening with manifesting? Oh, well, you have something like the reticular activating system within your brain that starts to work in your subconscious because you're visualizing, like manifesting is everything that has to do with what they tell Olympians to do when they're visualizing and feeling what it's going to be like when they're actually performing the act. And so then there's all these science experiments where people are then pretending to play a piano and they actually get better at playing the piano, even if they've never touched one. That goes to work in your brain. Your brain works for you. We know hardly anything about the brain compared to what's possible to know about it. We're also 99.999% energy and 0.001% matter. And we're all focused on the matter. And so to me, I'm realizing that there's just so much I don't know. So it makes more sense to go in, how can this be possible? Because then my brain will get to work for me. <laughs> and maybe it'll prove it and maybe it won't. So I'm not going to go and say this is true, but I'm saying this can be true. That's so cool that you've brought that up because I just came across this concept of the principle of free energy. There's this guy, I can't even remember his name. There's an article in the latest Wired magazine, if you want to check it out. It explains it, but it's sort of complicated. But essentially, the premise is that living organisms are driven by this imperative to not be surprised by their environment. So they have their various senses, whether they're a microbe, they're sensing the water that they're in, or a tree sensing the soil or us using our senses. And if we can sort of align our predictions or beliefs about what's going to happen with what's actually happened, then we want to close that gap. That's the free energy gap. Because so then we can decide what to wear. <laughs> the most important things. <laughs> but so if you think about rehearsal and if you think about open-mindedness, then both of those prepare you to be less surprised. So if you're open-minded, you understand a broader array of possibilities. If you do mental rehearsal, then when you get to situations that you've never encountered, you may have rehearsed them. And so it's less surprising on a mental level. So I think there's a lot of indications for how we can approach life if we think like, oh, here's some biological underpinnings of this need to not be surprised. I like what you said there because I have started to realize that the way I feel most successful or the way that things tend to go my way most often is when I handle the structure of the things I know are going to happen, like my morning routine. But on a deeper level, understanding how the brain works, because if you realize that the brain itself is kind of a machine in certain ways, a lot of chemical reactions happening, you can basically hack the machine to some level. And then the rest of it, the emotions and all of this stuff, not only will those be decreased, but they'll be manageable. I try to structure as much as possible. So then I have room for big things in my life. I think it's really funny when you have this sort of knowledge of the brain, you're in an argument, you're getting triggered or whatever, and you're like observing like, oh, no, I'm getting triggered, but you still can't avoid it. You know, you're still going down this path. You're still like feeling the feelings, but you're also observing like, here's what's happening to this person that's me. And I understand it, but I can't do anything about it. 
<laughs> it's true, but I do find that when you have that awareness and you're able to step back and observe, you're suddenly not attached to it. You're not identified with it. Whereas if you're just triggered, then you think, well, I'm this triggered. The only way I'm going to be this triggered is if this person deserves me to be this triggered. <laughs> like this person obviously did something or I wouldn't be feeling this way. But when you can step back as the observer or you're like, oh, well, this makes sense. First of all, I haven't eaten. This is triggering something from my childhood. And so you're like, okay, well, let my human do something. I'm going to make a different decision. And I know that I still... I mean, being married, it's hard to avoid conflict as much as I'd like to, but the miscommunications get shorter and shorter because we realize we're both just trying to manage our human. <laughs> I love that expression, manage our human. <laughs> so my wife and I, we hadn't been together very long before we got pregnant. And so it was this race to get to know each other and learn each other's communication styles before we had a kid so that, you know, like we need to cooperate so that we can parent, uh, except when you're dealing with pregnancy hormones, it makes it that much harder to learn communication because, you know, maybe things will be completely different after the baby. And they were to some extent. So you're relearning again, but it's coming back to communication. And when you're communicating, then it's draining less energy from you to sort of like manage stress and repair the relationship. And if you can like figure out those clean communication channels, then you can build so much good stuff on top of that. Exactly. And also respecting each other's communication methods. Because I know one thing my husband and I came across was something would be wrong. And he was able to kind of detach from the emotion of it. He's not as easily triggered as I am. So he can detach from that a little bit earlier and realize, okay, well, th this is silly. And he'd just be like, okay, well, let's talk about it. And I'd still be in kind of emotional state. <laughs> and I could feel my ego being like, nope, you don't get to be the bigger person first. <laughs> and so I know that I need to just step back and have a few minutes of space, even if it's 10 deep breaths, and go into the bathroom, wherever I can go. We've lived in some pretty small places. So sometimes it was literally just turning around and facing okay. the wall. <laughs> <laughs> la, 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 la. <laughs> yes, exactly. What was the hardest part about realizing, okay, well, we're making this commitment? Because I found that my husband and I got married sooner than I ever thought. We knew each other a year and a half, but I never thought I was getting married and neither did he. So for me, it felt very quick. And then we made the decision and got married in one month. And I could feel myself fighting against that. I know that month period, it was almost like the subconscious part of me testing him, testing him, testing him to make sure he wanted to do this. So I'm wondering how that was for you because you couldn't just test. You had this thing that was attaching you guys forever. That's so interesting. So we got engaged on the 4th of July and married on the 13th, Friday the 13th. So real quick, like two weeks. And it was interesting. We both observed that we were being a little mean right before we got married. And it was like, what is going on? I mean, we're just like, yeah, we're testing the limits of this relationship. Like, okay, are we sure that we want to do this? Because I've been married before and it was for the wrong reasons. My ex wanted to get married and I was like, I want to make you happy. So I'll get married, which is not really a super great reason to get married. And so I was, so I was a little wary. And yeah, we noticed this thing where we were like, 
we're trying to trigger each other more, like exploring it, like, okay, are we sure this is the right thing? And then once we got married, we'd be like, oh, what a relief. We, we just go back to being nice to each other again. Did you guys have a conversation about it? Like what was happening or was it like way in hindsight that you realized what was going on? I think probably the day we got married, we were like, what was up with us? And when we're having some sort of discussion, argument, whatever, we fall back on a formula, which is nonviolent communication, which is like observing, stating a need or a want, stating a feeling, and then making a request. So if it's like getting too confusing or too crazy, we're like, okay, let's just go back. What are the steps? Go through the formula. And you don't need the other person's buy-in to do that. You can you can say, you know, here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I want. Here's my request without them knowing the formula at all. But when we keep coming back to that, then we can just sort of tease out like what's really going on. And you can also guess. You can also say like, are you feeling annoyed because I didn't hold the door for you or whatever it is? So like, wait, no, I'm actually angry that you left the food out. It's something totally different. Um, they're on the right track. So having some framework for communicating that we can fall back on has been really helpful. Oh, that sounds very evolved. We don't do something like that quite yet. <laughs> so my trick, I hope he doesn't hear this, I play with the masculine brain. So I'll appeal to his masculinity at certain points when I want to get my way. I also know how... The brain works with different sounds and it kind of will trigger reward systems like Pavlov's dogs. And so when he does something I like, I just purr and I go. (laughs) Now he's so addicted to that sound that he just wants to make me happy all the time, especially happens when I get chocolate. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's very simple, but it really works. (laughs) So I even tell Heidi to train me like using animal behaviors. So (laughs) if I clean the kitchen or something, something I know she really likes, I'll say like, don't forget to positively reinforce this so that the behavior continues. And then she'll be like, oh yeah, okay. Like, and then she'll come and like rub my shoulders or something. So (laughs) it even works when you call it out and put it out there because now I love cleaning the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) Right? It really does. And also I've noticed that we kind of make our interactions kind of like little bits. And so the purr he knows is going to happen if he does something good. If I do something good for some reason, and I don't know, this might come back to daddy issues. I like to be called good girl. (laughs) And so the (laughs) amount of times in our household you hear good girl and I'm like, (laughs) it's multiple times a day. But yeah, it's like these, just these little ways of interacting. Or if I realize that I'm being overly emotional or, you know, sometimes you just realize like all of a sudden I have an attitude. I'll take it to a point of exaggeration because I'm almost calling BS on myself, like not washing the dishes or something like that. Well, obviously if the dishes are there, it's going to pile up forever. Christmas is going to be ruined and I'll just take it to this extreme because it'll break that for both of us. And he'll realize, I realize I'm being ridiculous. I immediately realize I'm ridiculous and then I can just move on. <laughs> this is a very Will Ferrell of you, like, <laughs> I am in a state where I'm really triggered right now. He's just like calling, yeah, calling out the thing. <laughs> we do that though. One thing that I try to do sometimes is if Heidi's got her arms crossed and she's like in this like kind of closed posture, I will try to get her physically to move and to open up her posture, which I know is 
a trigger for like openness or like if if you can have your palms up or something like that. So I'll try to get her actually to, to change her position so that she's so more receptive to a tie her um, arms and legs to the bedpost. <laughs> You're uh, open that, now. Let me talk to we, you. After we resolve the, uh, <laughs> the one thing that I'm really passionate about is we're talking about the brain. We are biological entities and I studied biology. And so it's very clear that we're just large mammals and we have sort of separated ourselves because we're so conscious and involved in all these things. And we can forget basic needs, getting enough sleep, enough cuddles, food, exercise, sunlight, all these things. But we can also forget how our bodies impact us, like changing positions or whatever, or how important it is to get some fresh air in the forest. Do you have any thoughts? Have you had any insights about your own biology or nature as a biological entity? Oh, yes. All sorts. First of all, I do consider my human often. I talk to my human. I take care of my human like I take care of my dog now because I realized I had never done that before. And so suddenly that knowledge hit me like a ton of bricks. I try not to sleep with an alarm now. I go to bed early. I've recently been understanding that the Earth's frequency is 7.83 hertz, and it's also the exact frequency of our brains, which is why we are so much happier, we feel clear, we feel free, because it's like recalibrating our system. And it's getting more and more difficult now because we have waves going through our bodies everywhere. In order to test the exact frequency of the Earth, the original frequency of the Earth anymore, they have to go out into sea, which is really crazy to think about. And that's also another reason there could be real dangers to 5G, but it's uncalibrating your system. They put just the base of a landline phone next to a beehive, just the base, because it does the same thing on a smaller level that a cell tower does. And they did it on a number of hives, and several of the hives, not one bee came back. And it actually caused the decline of all of these bees. And they think that's why also different bird species are dying off. So if I'm feeling in a funk, I try to just change my energy. So that might be doing jumping jacks. It might be going outside. It might be drinking a glass of water, but adding something to the closed system. And it's really helpful for me. Do you know how they measure the frequency of the earth or the brain? I'm not exactly sure what they do, but I know they did this really intensive study. There's an awesome documentary on it called frequency that you can get for free on Vimeo, I think. Just search frequency documentary. Wow. I love that kind of stuff because coming back to the, what's the evidence? If you can measure something and then make these cool correlations, there's something like the average drum beat for rock music is the exact same as the average cadence while humans run. And, you know, so like music, the underpinnings of music is underpinnings of us as a migratory species, like traveling long distances. It's like, wow, okay. There's crazy connections. That, or maybe they're not connections. Maybe they're just like coincidences, synchronicities. Think of how much we've discovered. I mean, they say the progress in the last hundred years has been more than the progress in like the million years before that. So my theory is that we're going to just keep discovering. And a lot of these mystical experiences, spiritual experiences are all going to be proven by science at some point. And I think we're just right now on the brink. If you found out something, there was just a simple scientific explanation for something awesome or magical or spiritual. How would you feel about that? I almost feel like I expect it at this point. It's one of the correlations that I have also 
been really mind blown on is how there can be infinite possibilities until you observe it. And okay, well, that makes a lot of sense as to why our mindset completely drives our reality. Because what are we choosing to observe? And then that's what comes into form. Yeah, I wish I could remember the name of that observer effect. Yeah, it's almost like as soon as you apply conscious thought to something, it, you know, it turns from the, was it the waveform into the to particle form? Mm-hmm. And here, I think we're getting into places where we're not, <laughs> not super expert yet. <laughs> it seems very exciting when I think about like, there's so much possibility. You know, a lot of adventurers say like, oh, I, you know, I was born in the wrong century. Like all the great exploration has already been done. Like all the continents and islands and everything has already been discovered. I wish I was born 200 years ago when all that was happening. But there's so much to explore psychologically, in physics, in the universe right now that, gosh, it's just what an exciting time to be alive. I guess it depends what kind of adventurer you, you are, though, because for me, this is exactly the time I want to be living. And if I lived in a different time, it would be maybe 50 years in the future. And I feel like in my lifestyle, I'm definitely going to be living in 50 years. So all of that to me was groundwork of what we needed to know to get to here. And there's still so much to be discovered. I mean, we haven't even officially landed on other planets yet. So I know. I love how we keep saying yet, you know, because we may be also the first generation that lives indefinitely that's sort of like amortal, either through putting consciousness into computers or medical technology supporting us to have the same bodies as long as we want them. That opens up a ton of possibilities to take, you know, a thousand years of experience, trans solar system, transgalactic journeys. You know, gosh, there's a lot of fun things, maybe scary things. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it depends how you look at it. I mean, at this current state of health of our planet, it almost seems scary to try to lengthen our lifespan because I think right now we're at this point of understanding that a lot needs to change. I mean, I live in Santa Monica, so it's very health and wellness centric here, but in so many other places, it baffles me how people can live on all of this processed foods and things with no nutrients just because it's calories that can give them enough energy to get up and go to bed. So a lot of people are living longer because of our medication, but they're on the decline from the halfway point. And I don't think that's how it's supposed to be at all. I think, again, it comes back to taking care of your human, this vehicle that you're in, instead of treating your car is better than you treat your body. When you look at these pockets of people that have a lot of their population living past 100, you know, the places in people in Japan and in Italy, little populations, it's really so simple and basic what they're doing. They have strong communities, they go for walks, they garden, they eat fresh food, things they're all doing. And so my theory is that because they're moving at a speed, they're walking in nature, if they're walking to their friend's house or something, if they're outside and they can sense the weather, then let's say their brains are vibrating on the same level as the earth and they're living in a state that's acceptable to humans. And then if we're moving too fast or too slow, or if we're ignoring too many of those things, then we can lose track of warning signs about our health or stress builds up over time if we're not releasing it. That's one thing that I come across with my clients a lot is that they get super stressed out because they move from one thing to another to another. And the stress builds up without ever releasing that because they're moving so, so fast. And 
if they simply were to walk and have a conversation or take five minutes, like a non-smoking smoking break, like a sunshine break or something, then I think that that building level of stress, which can lead to illnesses, would just smooth itself out. I agree. Especially in America, we have this epidemic of stress and a lot of people live in a constant state of stress and they never have that reprieve. They never understand the importance of sleep or the importance of quieting the mind. And so after the age of, I think, 35 is when we become, for the most part, unless you are actively trying to change or progress yourself, then you are just a product of all of your habitual thought loops. So if you haven't done anything to help yourself by the age of 35, then that's going to be the state of life till you die, until you decide to do something to change. And all you're doing is sealing in these neural connections, these bad habits that you've already done, and they get stronger and stronger and stronger. But it does take learning to quiet it. Meditation has been one of the most helpful things that I have done just to find a moment of peace. And even then, there are constant thoughts. I picture them as being these loose ends, these untied strings that I allow just to kind of complete and float away. And every now and then I get this just like a brief second of nirvana where I almost feel like I'm floating. And then I realize it's there and I'm like, oh man, I've made it. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it, it's like the bubble pops. <laughs> I know you like jump up and you got to go tell somebody like, I have made it to Oh. <laughs> yes, yes. There was a moment where I was almost like, not almost, I fully went, oh shit, I'm enlightened. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it just completely dropped. <laughs> and your ego was like, booyah. My ego yelled, I'm enlightened. You know, I think one of the reasons why I recommend adventure so much, why I'm pushing adventure so much, uh, other than one of my brands, uh, is that when you plop down in a new city, in a new country, or you even you take a different route on your commute, you, different way to work or whatever, your brain can't operate in the same trenches that it always has because you're in this unfamiliar territory. I have to figure out what the heck is going on here. Like, I can't read the language. I don't know where I am. I don't know which east to west. Like, when is the sun going to rise? All these things. And so your brain is like making all these new connections real quick. It's forcing you to learn. Then also opens the possibility of the way that I have of looking at the world seems like the way to do it. But now that I've experienced this new frame of reference, oh my gosh, what else is possible? There's there's more than just these two. There's like an infinite way of, of looking at things. Now we're back to open-mindedness. But it just like, it shocks your brain into the beginning child mode of, of learning again. It's like when you're doing a puzzle and you turn the table so you see it from a new perspective. It does kind of the same thing. In my yoga class that I go to, we'll end up doing a flow where we turn all the way around because suddenly it's good to have this flow from a new perspective. And even that alone does something to your brain. And you can at home do it as, in the simplest way of you have your morning routine. And I like to stick to my routine so I don't have to make a lot of decisions. But every now and then I'll brush my teeth with my other hand or <laughs> I'll switch one little thing to kind of throw my system off or on a grander scale of travel. Have you ever noticed that when you're in a new place, things seem brighter and more vibrant? I try to pretend I'm traveling sometimes, even in my own city, especially when I'm busy. And my husband and I will remind each other, and it's like, okay, pretend that we've never been here. Pretend that we just left our Airbnb and we're walking to the promenade, and I live near 
the promenade. <laughs> so keep referencing it. But all of a sudden, you notice the architecture of the buildings and you notice the types of trees and you realize that you're trying to soak things in like you are when you travel. You're trying to remember it. So this is a memory. When we're in our normal place or doing our normal things, we just let it fly by and we don't take that extra second of awareness. You know, maybe if we hired people to surprise us, to like attack us at various moments throughout our day, then we'd have to be more observant. We'd have to be more vigilant <laughs> or constantly taking in. That's a part of the Pink Panther would, would train himself to. Next time you see me, I'm going to be kind of like Jason Bourne. You're going to be like, how are you? I don't know, but I memorized your license plate. <laughs> Just in case you take me. You mentioned dreams. And so I'm curious what your relationship to your dreams is. I'm building one. We're at like, you know, still getting to know each other, the honeymoon phase. I've always had really vivid dreams. I have recently been exploring lucid dreaming a little bit. I got really interested in the topic. I had one that seemed like a lucid dream. I was like, okay, well, now I'm learning to lucid dream. Focused on it for like three days, did the little tricks and had my first lucid dream. It was amazing, but it was actually very similar to my enlightened moment where all of a sudden, I was doing something really weird. And one of the lucid dreaming books says that when you're thinking about this, so it's where you place your focus, but when you're thinking about constantly checking your reality when you're in reality, then that'll cross over into your dream and you can trigger yourself to realize that you're dreaming. So one of the examples is you might find yourself doing something really odd or you'll realize a flower is a color it's not supposed to be or something's different in your house. I was squeezing cookie dough in between my toes, which I don't think I've ever even done in a dream before that I can recall. And all of a sudden I realized, this is super weird. What are you doing? And everything went white. And it was this moment of, oh my gosh, I'm lucid dreaming. And I jumped and just floated off into distance and suddenly my alarm went off. Uh. <laughs> but the other day I had one too, which was weird because I haven't been focused on it. and. I kept coming in and out of realizing I was dreaming, and I thought, wait, I've never checked before that if you touch another human in your dream, if it feels like a human, or does my hand go through them? So I went over and grabbed a girl, which, good thing it was a dream, I guess, but I just like hugged her and was like, you feel real! And then I forgot I was dreaming again. <laughs> just like went through, but I woke up remembering that that happened, so it was kind of interesting. So I had a lucid dream, I got into this a year ago or so. And I got into it because, so two years ago, I was about to become a dad and I was like, ooh, I'm not going to get to adventure as much in the physical world. So I need to get better at adventuring in my dream so I can have as much fun overall in my life. But I'll just have to do it more in the dream world. So that was my motivation. And in the dream, I realized that I was dreaming. And then I was like, I have to tell Heidi. So I manifested her into the scene and I was like, Heidi, I'm lucid dreaming. And she was like, that's great, honey in the dream. And, and then I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to go do some fun stuff. And then I actually ended up getting into this inducted into the secret society of, so, so here's a really cool thing, a secret society of lucid dreamers that meet from around the world in the lucid dream space, but they all live in different places around the world. So it's this like club, you have to be a lucid dreamer and you can go to this shared conscious space in the dream world. Totally blew my mind. But it's possible. It's a real thing. That is so interesting because the first time I did ayahuasca, right when it started to sink in, I started coming in and out of 
what felt like this other realm. And to me, it was so real that my husband was next to me and he wasn't quite where I was yet. And I kept like pushing him over and being like, meet me on the other side. <laughs> That's what I kept saying. Cause I just thought, well, this other side, this realm exists and it's so real. So let's all just meet there. We're all doing the same thing right now. <laughs> meet us on the other side. Yes. See you on the other side. <laughs> well, this, this has been really fun. It has been fun. Thanks for indulging my desire to make something up and <laughs> have a meandering conversation. In the way this was kind of like a state of meditation where I feel like we got onto a lot of topics that are these little loose ends and we thought maybe we can connect them together. So that was fun. You could get a PhD in any of the topics that we've talked about, but we're just going to scratch the surface. And mostly for me, it's just so I feel clever. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to that drive, that uh, early childhood drive to feel like I know a lot about a little. I am enlightened. All right. Until next time, stay adventurous. I hope you all enjoyed the holidays with your family, whatever holiday you celebrate. Links to Derek's podcast, The Art of Adventure, will be in the show notes at mindlove.com slash 058. Thank you again to everyone that's been along this crazy wild journey with me. I look forward to many more episodes to come. And I have a challenge for you today. Write a list or a letter or whatever your heart feels called to do of all the things you accomplished in 2018. Write everything from the big, amazing things to the little things that maybe you would have forgotten if you didn't list it. This is such a great practice to get into, not only to help keep your mind focused on the actual progress that's being made, because again, it can be so easy to get caught up in the mundane and the trials and hiccups and all the little things that go wrong. You have to remind yourself about the great things that are happening. Unfortunately, that's just how the brain works. But it's also so great to look back on the next year. So let me know what you guys come up with. I love hearing from you guys. I have a lot planned for next year that I'm really excited to share with you. 2018 was all about laying the groundwork. And 2019, I picked a word for it. My intention word is expansion. So I'm taking those steps towards purpose. Next week happens to land on a holiday as well. It'll be January 1st. But next week's episode is so perfect for the new year because we're going to go over the three critical mindset blocks you need to get over to make sure you actually accomplish your goals. So it's the perfect thing to listen to to start your New Year's resolutions. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.